You're listening to Straight Shooters, a straightforward golf podcast that'll straighten out your game. And here are your hosts, Keith Bennett and Henry Statina. You're listening to the Straight Shooters Golf Podcast. I'm Henry Statina, and I'm alongside Keith Bennett. Uh, We are the Straight Shooters, and today we're going to be bringing to you a topic uh, revolving around the short game, um, primarily based on why you suck at the short game and what are two of the areas that which you could uh, focus on in order to improve, which have to do with the physical aspect and then also the mental aspect. Um, when it comes down to the physical, there's a couple of shots that we want to talk about, um, chipping and pitching. These terms, uh, they oftentimes get uh, uh, used uh, to describe the same type of shot, right, Keith? And, and uh, they're actually different. Uh, chipping is a low rolling shot, and then a pitch is a higher, more lofted shot, both of which are really important for developing a, a sound short game. Uh, Keith, tell us a little bit about how you're doing and, and what's going on today. Yeah, man. Um, again, looking forward to sitting down and chatting about uh, about why people struggle uh, with the short game. Um, I see it a lot, and it's it's um, you know not an area that people devote a lot of attention to practice-wise um, because it seems to be more fun to go hit full shots, make full swings with the seven iron or driver at the range, um, but it's something where almost, um, you know, every time someone comes back from playing a round of golf and I ask them how it went, you know, they all say, you know, I hit my driver. Okay. You know, maybe missed a few shots. I hit my irons pretty good. And, you know, once I got up around the green, you know, I was taking four and five shots to get the ball in the hole, you know, um, you know, two chipping or two pitching and then, and then three putting or even more. Um, and it's so funny because it's, you know, they're basically describing to me as the coach, how they can, you know, cut maybe five to even 10 shots off their round. um, But they're not really willing to put the practice time in. And, you know, these are some of the smallest swings that we make as golfers. Um, You know, a lot of these type swings are the club heads only swinging, you know, waist height to waist height. Um, And all we really have to do is, you know, pick the right club for the job and, and, and pick the right landing spot and, and aim a little bit. And, and it's not that complicated of an issue. Um, but, you know, you and I both see, um, you know, golfers complicating these types of shots. Um, and I would say 95 to even 98% of the issues come in the setup position. What do you, what do you see from golfers um, who struggle with with chipping and pitching, whether it be club choice, setup position, what are some some common areas of the physical game, the setup and the swing that you see that that hold golfers back? Yeah, and listening to the you know your your kind of perspective on things made me initially think about some recent situations where I've been playing some rounds of golf with some amateurs, kind of in a playing lesson type format, and I'll play from their tee box and hit a similar distance off the tee to where we're all around around the same place for our approach shots. And it's quite noticeable to them and to myself that they're performing just finely off the tee and they're struggling mostly around the greens. Um, I think that, you know, when it comes down to the physical aspect, it really boils down to those two shots, chipping and pitching, chipping being the low rolling of the two. And, um, I totally agree with you that the setup is a, is a primary 
uh, area for improvement. Now, when I think of chipping, I'm thinking about putting with a lofted club. You know, at some point, the ball is going to be far enough off of the green where I don't feel the need to roll it along the ground with a putter. And mm -hmm. so I want to get the ball airborne long enough to carry the longer grass and then to roll the rest of the way similar to a putt. And so mm -hmm. the only variable that I'm looking to change is the is the launch of the golf ball, which has to do with loft. And so I select mm -hmm. a club with more loft. So um, instead of a putter, maybe a, a seven, eight or nine iron, something that's going to get the ball up in the air for a little bit and then roll the rest of the way. And I'm pretty much going to set up and play that shot just like I would a putt. Um, when it comes to pitching, it's a little bit different because we want the ball to go in the air more and land softer, which would mean, again, more launch angle, meaning more loft, which means uh, pitching wedge, sand wedge, lob wedge. Um, but again, very similar type motion, obviously a bigger swing. Um, so yeah, so, so when it comes to setup, the primary difference is gonna be the club. And then I'm going to usually keep the club pretty central in my stance, pretty balanced um, weight distribution from left to right and heel to toe. Um, if I was going to error, I would error by moving the weight a little bit forward um, of center. I certainly don't want to hang back and try to lift the ball into the air. That would be a, a major error. But um, for the most part, pretty balanced, pretty neutral setup, pretty much like a putting motion. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, you know, when I start out by addressing the situation um, and the club I'm going to use and the shot I'm going to play, um, you know, I stand next to my ball um, and I'll imagine myself uh, underhand tossing the ball to the hole or wherever I want the ball to end up. Um, and that visual really starts to help my brain see the height at which I would toss the ball to get the ball to come up, you know, close to my target. You know, typically speaking, let's say I'm five to 10 yards off the green and I've got some rough between me and the edge of the green and the flag is maybe, let's say, four to five steps onto the green. Uh, well, a low trajectory, low running uh, type shot is simply not going to stop in time. So I would imagine myself sort of tossing that ball higher up into the air and having the ball come down from the apex of its toss uh, with a much steeper landing angle. So when the ball's coming down like a mortar, you know, a mortar kind of going up and down and landing more steeply onto the green, well, it's simply just not going to roll as far to the hole. So once I've got that visual in my mind, I ask myself, okay, what lofted club if I executed a swing, a swinging motion, what, what, what loft in my bag would most closely resemble the visual of the toss that I just had in my head? And that helps me to, you know, narrow out, you know, narrow down the club. So in my mind, I'm saying, okay, the nine iron, the pitching wedge, probably even the gap wedge are out. I'm looking more at the, the sand wedge and the lob wedge in this case. Uh, and then I, you know, based on past experience, based on other chips and pitches or shots I've hit that day, feeling the firmness or the softness of the greens, you know, if there's dew on the grass, if it's a firm, hard summer day on the greens, then that also helps me narrow down what club I'm going to use. And then I just go from there. And at the end of the day, you have to kind of make the best educated guess you can make. You're not always going to get it right. Um, but obviously by practicing more, 
uh, messing around, experimenting, uh, trying different clubs you might not try in certain situations. You kind of build up this mental um, ATM, if you will, of, you know, deposits where you kind of have more deposit, more, more reserves to pull from, um, from more similar situations. And, and you arrive at the best educated guests um, the most quickly. So that's kind of how I break down, you know, what club I'm going to use, what trajectory I want that ball to take off on. Uh, so for me, um, I personally will switch clubs um, and keep the setup and the ball position and the weight distribution and the motion I'm making the same um, and just use different clubs to provide different lofts and different back spins. I know that a 60 degree wedge is going to have more back spin than a nine iron. A nine iron with a flatter face is going to have more ball speed. Um, you know, anytime a ball is hitting a flatter surface, the ball is going to jump off that surface a little hotter. So the ball is going to come off that nine iron a little faster. So I know that I don't have to make as big of a swing. Uh, you know, with the 60 degree, it's a lot more lofted. So you get kind of more of a glancing blow off that club. You don't get as much ball speed, but you get more backspin. So, you know, all of those things, I just have acquired that knowledge from years of, of hitting shots and experimenting and messing around, you know, trying to bump a nine iron through the rough, even, you know, even though it might not be the right shot, um, you know, you never know what you might find out. So that's kind of my process in a nutshell. And that's sort of how I teach, um, people how to arrive at the right club for the right shot is I'll actually have them underhand toss some golf balls to the hole until they start getting it close. Um, and then ask them what club they might use to, to kind of replicate that toss they just had. Yeah, I think that's a great way of going about it. I do a very similar type process. Um, I think most of us can kind of envision what we would do in terms of tossing a golf ball um, using our hand and the trajectory that it might go on, the landing angle that it would be on, and then obviously the rollout um, for a given carry versus roll situation. Um, and then it's like you said, guessing to use which club to produce the shot with. I think that most players struggle around the greens because they are so limited in their options for golf club selection. They use a sand wedge or a lob wedge for all of their shots. Sometimes mm -hmm. trying to turn the club into uh, an eight iron or a nine iron by moving the ball back in their stance and de-lofting the club. And so mm -hmm. that takes out some of the characteristics of it by making the, uh, the swing more of a steep angle of attack. It takes away the bounce. It reduces some of the swinging properties. And so um, it just makes things a little bit more difficult for your typical golfer who isn't practicing every day. So those would right. be two great pieces of advice uh, to begin by visualizing the tossing of a ball and then experimenting with different clubs to see which ones better match those types of visualizations. Um, it, it, it kind of makes me think a little bit about, you know, the, the transition into the mental side of the game uh, of, of short game. I mean, we hear a lot about feel and and that there's field players and it simply takes a lot of practice to develop the field. I mean, are you thinking about that uh, tossing uh, visualization? Are you thinking about the trajectory? Are you thinking about the landing angle? Are you thinking about the rollout while you're actually performing the shot? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think um, through, through understanding how the brain works, through understanding how my athleticism works through 
um, trying everything there is to possibly try, right? I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing to do. Um, if you've played the game long enough and you're obsessed with improvement enough, you've tried basically everything there is to try to improve your own golf game. But then you do that long enough and then you kind of, you sort of throw things out and you keep things. And, you know, what I've sort of found myself doing that, that allows me to have the highest level of success um, most often is standing behind the ball. So, you know, kind of have my chest between, you know, facing the ball and the target, visualizing where the ball is going to land, the trajectory it's going to land at, and how much roll that trajectory is going to therefore produce after the ball has hit the surface. Um, and then obviously looking at the contours of the green, you know, is the ball landing on a downhill? Is it landing on an uphill? All that sort of stuff. I'm looking at that and I'm seeing that, that movie play out in my mind, um, you know, very briefly, um, you know, you'll see people kind of stand back there and sometimes close their eyes and imagine the whole thing. I've tried that. Um, you know, that seems a little bit too intense for me. I'm a little bit more of just kind of see it very quickly and briefly. Um, but I'll see the whole thing play out. I'll see the ball rolling to a specific spot and stopping at that spot. Um, I'll see the whole thing. And then, then I'll pick the club. I'll make a few rehearsal swings, but while I'm making those rehearsal swings, I'm, I'm imagining myself producing that ball flight. And with that ball flight in mind, I'm, I'm allowing my subconscious brain to feel out the length of swing and the amount of force I would need to produce the ball flight I just saw in my head. And then I step up and very quickly place the club head behind my ball. So the face is aiming where I want the ball to land and to take off. And then I allow my subconscious brain just to make the swing. I don't, I don't, I don't really hold the image of the ball flight too long. I've already done that behind the, behind the shot. I just step up there very quickly, just like if I were to catch a pass from a, a teammate on a basketball court and, and look and shoot. I don't, you know, stand there over the ball and try to hallucinate an image in my mind. I just kind of let my, my brain do its thing. And, and, and by doing that, I found that I have the highest level of success on a more regular basis. So that's, that's kind of what I've boiled it down to for me, but everyone's going to be a little different, but, I, but if you listen to the best golfers, the best short game artists um, talk about it, you know, they, they all speak about visualization. They all speak about visualization. In fact, there's a great YouTube video TaylorMade put out where they've got it, like five of their tour pros all sitting around hitting bunker shots and pitch shots and tigers there. And tiger talks about the visualization. Jason day talks about, um, even when he's in a bunker and he can't see his landing spot, he's, he's down there in the bunker, imagining his landing spot. So you, you really can't get away from visualization being a big part of your routine. Um, if you're going to be uh, a good short game player around the greens. Yeah, I think that's a great point. The, the physical aspect of producing uh, a chip or a pitch is actually relatively simple if we get the setup down, um, making it as neutral as possible, making chipping like a putting stroke and then pitching um, like a long putting stroke. I think that uh, Stan Utley... And James Seekman have some fantastic ways of teaching both of these concepts. And then, you know, it really boils down to the mental side of it, you know, visualizing the shot and, and being able to select the clubs. And I think that it's important that we practice in a manner that allows us to be adaptable. 
Um, sometimes we often look for consistency and in reality, golf is not a consistent game. It's ever changing. And we need to be able to play multiple um, shots from different situations um, and be able to adjust to different lengths of grass and slope and, and firmness of greens and all of these different variables that are ever changing on a golf course and, and between rounds, especially when playing on multiple golf courses. So it comes down to a, at the end of the day, there's no real secret, but it's about practicing and about putting in the amount of time and maybe varying our practices. So how do you suggest a player practice in a manner that's going to allow for as much adaptability around the greens with the various things that you've been discussing? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. You know, um, there's probably no better practice than just going out and playing golf. I think that's probably the most, you know, um, randomized variable type of practice you can get. Um, you know, typically players have uh, one or two at the most, if they're lucky, uh, short game areas that they practice at. And once they've, they've practiced there for, let's say a week, a week to a month, they've, they've pretty much figured out every lie. They've pretty much figured out what the ball's going to do when it hits certain slopes on their green. They, you know, they figured it all out. It's kind of like putting three footers to, you know, the same hole every single week, you know, the break, you don't even, your brain kind of switches off after a little while um, because it, 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 it's not challenging your brain anymore. Now, if you are, uh, let's say just starting out, if you're kind of novice in this whole thing, then that chipping green or that chipping area is going to be a huge challenge for you. So that's going to be incredibly mentally stimulating, a big challenge. Um, and, you know, that research backs that, that basically when you're just starting out, you want to, um, you know, not make it incredibly difficult on yourself. Otherwise, you might experience too much, um, you know, failure, but you, you do want to, to make it randomized. So one of, one of the drills that, that um, I always used, you know, back when I was a junior golfer uh, practicing was I'd just take 15 balls and I, you know, 15, 10, 15 balls in both hands. And I just toss them up into the air, into a, in, into a rough area or a, even a fairway area. And wherever those golf balls landed, I had to play the shot um, from that location to a hole that I picked. And I'd, I'd usually have four clubs in my hand. So I'd have my pitching wedge through my lob wedge and I'd carry those around with me with a, with a, a scrub or a, a damp towel. And I, you know, I'd, I'd sit there and I'd figure out what club I was going to use for the shot. I'd try to execute it. I, you know, I clean the club off and I'd go to the next one. And, and by, by not hitting the same shot over and over to the same hole location, uh, you make your practice a little bit more like something you'd, you'd expect to find out on the golf course. Yeah, that reminds me of a game that we play around here a lot. We call it hoot and scoot. Um, it's a game we played as a kid, and a lot of the, the, the people growing up playing golf in New Mexico are very familiar with it. But um, if you and I were playing, one of us would begin by grabbing both golf balls, uh, selecting a, a hole to go to, and then we would just throw them into some random place, and we would play an up-and-down game from there. Uh, with the goal mm -hmm. of trying to create as much unusual condition as possible. And so it becomes really fun and you, you can put yourself in some pretty bizarre positions. Sometimes that would not necessarily resemble a realistic shot, but it allows a person to be adaptive and to become creative and to 
basically figure out how to use the tool to produce different shots and escape from different scenarios. And then obviously the competitive side of it uh, allows for us to be able to perform under some amount of competitive pressure, which is obviously going to be the most helpful of transferring to the golf course and to tournament rounds. So I think that that game that you're suggesting on a person's own would be very similar and can be done as an individual, which is really helpful. Yeah, and I think as well, it's it's worth mentioning too, um, you know, if you're just starting out and you don't even really know what uh, a lob wedge might do to the golf ball or a nine iron, you know, then just standing in the same location and hitting hitting 10 nine irons to the same whole location, hitting 10 lob wedges, hitting 10 gap wedges to the same whole location is where you need to start out. Um, you know, by making it incredibly difficult for you right off the bat, if this is not something you've ever done before, uh, that'll be too challenging and it'll be too much for your brain to handle. So, you know, the hoot and scoot game, the, the, you know, the, the randomized throwing of the golf balls into spaces and then, you know, playing it, playing the ball down where it lies that's kind of like the, the next step out of novice. Um, and then obviously, you know, the kind of more advanced stuff is, is playing golf and, and getting out there and obviously, you know, not seeing, not having seen a whole location or, or what the green does and, and being able to make a, a really good educated guess as to what the, what the green's going to do to the ball and all that sort of stuff. So highly recommend starting out, you know, hitting golf shots from the same location. And then once that feels no longer mentally stimulating, and then you got to move on to some more, uh, some more randomized practice. But I think for me, short game is the most fun to practice for a, a number of reasons. And that's because you get to see the entire shot play out. You know, when you're hitting balls in a range, a lot of times you don't even get to see the ball land or what it might do on the grass. You don't even get to see that valuable information. But when you're hitting a 20 yard little pitch shot, you get to see what the ball, where the ball landed. If you hit your spot, you were trying to chip it to, you get to see, what the backspin did to the ball when it hit the grass, you get to see how the ball rolls. I mean, it's, you get to, it, it's just so, so much more stimulating and fun. Um, and you can be way more creative uh, in short game and you get such immediate feedback because typically you're practicing on real grass. So, you know, if you don't make uh, solid contact with that golf ball, you're going to know right away too. And that's just such valuable feedback that, you know, for me practicing in the Northwest, we hit off uh, AstroTurf a lot, mats, and a lot of people don't get that feedback of, you know, you can hit the, you can hit about an inch to two inches and, you know, behind the ball and the ball will still fly up in the air. And unless you're good at discerning whether or not you hit it fat or not, you know, you never really know. So I think if you have a short game area, one, you're probably not going to find a lot of people on it because most people would rather go hit seven iron. So you're probably going to have most of the place to yourself. And then two, I think it's just personally, I think it's more fun than, than just whacking seven irons and drivers and, you know, not even really getting to see where it lands. I think that's a great point. I think that uh, I would agree completely that the short game is the most enjoyable part of the game for me to practice as well for those same reasons. And for a golfer to really, you know, take some of this information that we've discussed today and put it into some kind of a practice, it would be most helpful to definitely work on the physical aspects of the game first, making sure that we transition nicely from putting to chipping to pitching, um, ultimately yep. making as few of changes as possible from each uh, skill to the next, um, primarily focusing on the setup and then making a swinging motion with each of the clubs. 
and then transitioning to some kind of a mental component, uh, you know, or, or, or a crossover to the mental side, which we, we discussed with uh, shot selection and club selection by visualizing the tossing of a ball and, and practicing with multiple clubs. Again, making things a little bit more varied. And then um, transitioning even further to various conditions from uphills to downhills, to different lengths of rough, um, being a little bit more creative and a little bit more random. And then finally progressing to some level of competition, whether it be around the short game area and a hoot and scoot type up and down game or on the golf course, um, trying to make it as similar as it would be to transition to the golf course and a competitive situation uh, would be a good transition for a golfer, regardless on their skill and regardless on where they are on that learning curve, just knowing at which stage they should be working on in that moment. Um, I think that would be fantastic. Um, good stuff today, Keith, anything you want to add prior to us signing off? Yeah, I think it'd be important to note that, you know, if you guys want to go or whoever wants to go a little deeper into this stuff or even get personalized feedback, obviously, um, Henry and I both offer virtual or in-person lessons, um, and we can take you step-by-step step through these processes. Um, and when you work the steps the right way in the order they're supposed to be worked, the progress happens incredibly fast. The retention of learning happens incredibly fast and it all just makes sense. You know, nobody, I, I very rarely meet people who duff or top their putts because they're not trying to get the ball up in the air. But if you put a camera down there at the worm view, you see that a putter actually gets the ball airborne because it has, you know, two to four degrees of loft on the putter. And then they get these other clubs, these more lofted clubs in their hands. And it all goes to, it all goes to the wayside um, because they are no longer just using a swinging motion. They're no longer using the pendulum motion that they were with their putter. Um, and they're trying to help the ball up into the air. So I would work on short putts, long putts, and then I would transition to maybe hitting some nine irons or seven irons about two feet off the green's edge. And then I would back slowly away until I'm using like a gap wedge or a sand wedge and just use the same motion that you would use to hit like a 70 or 80 foot putt with all of those clubs. And you'll be blown away at how easy it is um, to produce the trajectories and the contact and all that sort of stuff. Even using the same exact ball position you would for a putter for all of those, um, those lofty clubs that we described. Um, it's not that complicated, but you and I both, you know, we see that people suck at the short game because they make it more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, I think that'd be fantastic for a player to go through on their own. They can certainly see some serious improvement, but if they're looking for a little bit more feedback, like you said, we both offer online instruction um, using the Skillist app. Uh, they can basically just download that. Uh, search for either one of our names, sign up for a subscription or a lesson, and then begin working with us um, virtually, which has been proven and, and from our experiences has been found to produce some really nice results, getting more feedback more often, but in smaller chunks. Yep. And so a person yep. could go through a monthly coaching plan and have a really sound game, especially short game by summertime. So um, that's a good plug there. And I think something that a lot of people should take advantage of. Yep. I'm with you, but I think that's uh, that's a great, a great start for somebody to kind of wrap their mind around how to improve on the short game. And um, 
if anybody out there has feedback on, on how that went or has any questions, you can always reach out to Henry or I on Instagram. Uh, and we'd be happy to uh, discuss any of the topics a little further with you. Very well, Keith. Well, have a great day and we will talk to you next week. All right, man. Looking forward to it. Have a good one.